Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast, episode 26, the MJ Air Jordan, whatever, the GOAT, you know, the guy you saw in the last dance, one of the greatest athletes ever lived, is buying in to NASCAR. Uh, Air Jordan lands in NASCAR, plus much more here tonight on the Grip Strip Podcast. I'm Philip Matthew. I'm here with my buddy Josh Hafine. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. And this uh, MJ news is probably the biggest news to hit NASCAR in a long time. It's the biggest ownership move in NASCAR since. I mean, it doesn't have the cat. It's way bigger box office, of course, for all the reasons which we'll get into here uh, momentarily. Um, but it's the biggest move for a NASCAR ownership stake since uh, John Henry and the Fenway group bought into Roush Fenway racing. We've seen how well that's worked out, not only on the Roush side, but also the Fenway side. Yeah, they won a couple, two, three World Series, but now they suck, which is great because I hate the Red Sox. But, um, you know, Michael Jordan coming into this sport is such a huge deal. It got announced around 8.50 on Monday night. It got posted on Insta or, or something like that by Dennis. Um, and he announced this deal that they're, they were going to go and buy the Jermaine Charter and they're going to start a new team. And for all the the LCD maggot sympathizers who can't stand this guy, Daryl Wallace Jr., is now going to be in a top-flight ride. And uh, so there's a lot to dive into. Of course, will uh, Michael Jordan previously owned a two-bike Suzuki team, which was basically a satellite team of the old Yoshimura Suzuki team in uh, the AMA Superbike Championship years ago. Aaron Yates rode for that team. Uh, some Jake Zemke, et cetera, et cetera. He ran, they basically ran as the, they were getting the same parts as the main team, which, you know, yeah, Matt Maladden, uh, Ben Spees, who of course went to world uh, acclaim in terms of world Superbike and even in MotoGP for the short time he was there before injuries got to him. Um, but MJ, this isn't the first time MJ has been involved in motorsport as an owner, but this is huge. Uh, I mean, I, I, I should be going in. We're, we're going to talk about this, definitely all the different aspects of this deal. There really isn't a whole lot that's been told about it, but there is a lot of layers to even what we know. Uh, we'll talk about this new team. We'll also talk about Ross Chastain finally getting into Chip Ganassi's 42 car which I, that's another one that was probably the biggest move i was gonna say since chip ganassi came to nascar after his indy car domination or cart domination and winning indy 500 and that was 20 years ago uh so that tells you how long it's been since somebody of of stature has come into this sport uh the dump that is texas motor speedway will have the all-star race in turn, they'll lose a points race, which will go to Circuit of the Americas. Uh, that we'll get into. We'll also discuss the weekend at Bristol where Kevin Harvick beat Kyle Busch. 
in for his ninth win of 2020. It is something that if you thought about Kevin Harvick prior to 2014, would he be close to 60 wins having a season that's similar to the greatest seasons of all time? I don't think outside of his own fan base, people would have really thought this was possible. Uh, Chase Briscoe gets his seventh win of 2020, some good fortune there, but he gets a seventh win of the season and ties Austin Sindrick for points going into the playoffs. Sam Mayer, uh, great Thursday night. He wins two races. He jumps out of a truck, wins his first truck race uh, in the playoff opener for them, and then goes and wins the Arca race over uh, his going to be longtime rival Ty Gibbs, I figure. Um, GSP, we'll talk about that, and we'll get into more details with the first race of the playoffs for them. The GSP roundup with the 24 Hours of Le Mans, uh, supercars, V8 supercars at the Bend, part one, MotoGP at Misano, and DTM we'll get into uh, because it's getting a little tighter between the top two drivers. Uh, big news in World Superbike, since we talked about motorcycles there with Michael Jordan. American Rider had a great weekend uh, across the board in World Superbike. And then we'll preview the Formula One at the Putin Drome. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, the possibility. Um, Netflix is trying to angle themselves to that, to cover him this weekend for the possibility that he will tie Michael Schumacher with 91 Formula One wins. Uh, the Formula 2 championship will continue. Uh, Formula 3 ended at the last race, but the Formula 2 championship will continue for a few more rounds. And who will be able to stand out there in a very tight battle? NASCAR will have all three series at Las Vegas. The NHRA will be running their first race outside of Indianapolis in months at the Gator Nationals. Um, then we'll just kind of we'll briefly hit. Of course, supercars at the bend again. Barcelona, Catalonia for MotoGP. IMSA at Mid-Ohio with some notable absences. And then we'll talk about Josh and I playing in uh, the Fall Brawl League. Uh, we'll also probably get a Jacksonville-Miami preview, the uh, beard and the mustache on Thursday night. And uh, other things as we go out to promote here on the GSP. But first, uh, Josh... I mean, let's let's just go with it. What did you last night when you heard this? What did you think that, you know, Michael Jordan is buying in a NASCAR and not only is he buying in a NASCAR, he's he's going full force. He's the lead guy. It's Michael Jordan. It'll be Michael Jordan Motorsport. It'll be Jordan Hamlin, whatever it is. He's going to be basically running. I mean, they haven't said this, but let's be honest, it's going to be the fifth Joe Gibbs car. Uh, they're getting bubble walls in there. Jordan brand's going to be in this, all these big uh, people in the, in actors and music and sports and Lewis Hamilton. And all these people are all so happy about this deal. I mean, what did you think of this when you heard it last night? Well, I, I mean, I wasn't surprised by it. I mean, I was, it was, you know, very, you know, very like, wow, like, I can't believe this is happening. But, you know, there's been some rumors about that Michael Jordan was going to get involved um, in some way with 
uh, a team coming up next season. That you know he'd been rumored with Denny Hamlin and um, to purchase the team, and they didn't say at the time like because they had said Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan are working on a partnership, but they didn't say this is going to be a Michael Jordan majority ownership and Denny Hamlin being a um, minority partner. So you know at least 51 to 60 percent um mj and then whatever rest for denny but um it was just a you know really big news as far as like a new team in the uh sport although it does come at the expense of jermaine racing who lost their sponsorship from geico who decided into the team sponsorship and just sponsor um or be a, a partner with nascar and and that clause them the closed doors and and that gives them the Michael Jordan the opportunity to purchase the rights to that team uh, with, with the charter, which is what that is. If you're an, uh, a new NASCAR fan listening to this, or you um, more interested in the story, but uh, it's it's a you know very uh, a very good opportunity for a, a new ownership uh, group in the sport, and we'll see how it works out. And this very much will be the probably a, a fifth car. Uh, kind of under the Joe Gibbs stable because he did say that they're probably going to get help and have an alliance with Gibbs. So, you know, if you want an analogy to this, this is probably similar to uh, what Dale Earnhardt Incorporated was to Richard Childress Racing and how they had the alliance with uh, Childress, uh, Dale Earnhardt, and Andy Petrie back in uh, 2001, although that was more of a super speedway alliance uh, with their yeah. engine program. Yeah. But in a similar way, kind of like that, um, Although that was Dale Earnhardt Incorporated was the uh, Bush Series team for him in, in the early 80s up until the 90s, and then it be morphed into the Cup team, and so that it was already a team in existence, and there wasn't really like that much conflict of interests. Um, and I think here that you have do have to wonder uh, what level of or you know the amount of conflict of interest that there will be because this this is basically this is michael jordan funded team but they are going to have help from jgr so i do wonder what you know the conflicts of interest of there will be but for the team itself um depending on how they perform i mean there's various levels of performance that could come about next season it could be a a similar season to what they had in the or or better than what Bubba Wallace has in the 43, maybe a, a car that more is a um, match to his talent level and his ability. So probably better than what he's had the past couple of seasons, maybe similar to the cars that he had with, um, or the trucks that he had with Kyle Busch Motorsports in 2013 and 14 when he raced for, for that team. So maybe something similar to um, that level, at least. And even though he, he won a couple of races there, I didn't mean, don't expect them to win a couple races next year, but definitely a, a little bit more competitive car. But I expect there'll probably be some growing pains that they'll have next season, um, being a new team and everything. And then probably in 2022 with uh, the new car that's going to come out for NASCAR, the next-gen car, expect them to probably be a little bit more on level with the rest of the, the sport. So this is very much a, a long-term move. It's not a, a short-term move in the uh, sense for Bubba Wallace. Is, you know, he'll... He'll perform better probably next year, um, maybe better than what people expect him to. There'll probably be a lot of inconsistency being a new team, but I expect probably 2022, 2023, maybe he'll improve, maybe uh, be a consistent playoff driver, possibly. I mean, that, that has to be the goal, especially with Michael Jordan investing into the team. 
So that has to be the goal for them. Um, we'll we'll see what sponsorship they're able to have. The Jordan brand obviously will probably be there, but you know, Bubba Wallace also has some sponsors that he was able to put together for this season uh, with Cash App and some other sponsors, Columbia Sportswear and uh, DoorDash. Although I think they're going to stay with RPM if uh, they decide to and. Um, certainly there will be a, a lot of funding and and you have to wonder if this is what Bubba Wallace was hinting towards a couple of weeks back when or like a month ago a month and a half ago when he talked about hinting towards a new ride uh, around the Michigan race uh, doubleheader weekend that they had earlier this year and they're talking about his contract um, and and his possibility for for next year so it's a you know very exciting news for for a new team and and hopefully, you know, they are able to be competitive uh, in the future. And obviously it brings in a lot of, uh, hopefully it brings in a lot of new fans, new interest. You know, Michael Jordan's the greatest of all time in in his sport. You know, he's, um, there's a reason why his brand is the brand um, that's recognized by millions around the world. So um, I don't know how, how exactly how many people it'll bring in, but um, hopefully it'll bring a, a new audience to the to the sport, and you know I think that's something that probably factored into uh, this opportunity, and and also you know gives Bubba an opportunity to really prove himself. So I think it, it's a it's a good it's a good thing for the sport. Um, just going to see what comes out of it. I think that's what you have to look out for. Yeah, absolutely, it's it's something that he said it on door bumper clear. Uh, last week, I mean, of course, his his longtime spotter and friend Freddie Kraft is part of that. Uh, they he basically said there was he hadn't talked to to Michael Jordan, uh, but who knows? Maybe he was trying to hedge. Uh, he he was saying I'm whatever this opportunity that's coming up is going to be. You know, it's going to be the best of the best and it's 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 put up or shut up time and he's like well i'm gonna have time i'm gonna have a few i'm gonna have multiple i mean he didn't say multiple but it's like it sounds like it's a multi-year contract as you mentioned josh and it's gonna get into the new car and all these things and if he can't prove himself with the best equipment then he's going to quit and he's going to go off into sunset and do whatever and take pictures and do whatever. And he'll be happy and he'll be, he'll go and uh, be with his girlfriend, probably get married and have a life. And that'll be what it is. Uh, And he's like, if that happens and there'll be a lot of happy people. And I'm like, well, that's part of the problem with our society, but then that exists at the highest levels. And that's something that, it's a separate conversation for a separate podcast that probably exists Um, in terms of his driving talent and driving ability. uh, He's proven that he can win in, in NASCAR. Uh, There are much lesser drivers who have done less than even he has uh, in, or in any of the major three series that got, got rides in this sport. Um, and mainly it was only because they brought money or, you know, something else. Maybe they suck some dick. Um, in the case of Bubba Wallace, he did win truck races for, for KBM, as Josh said, for Toyota. And Toyota wasn't going to offer him a full ride. 
Um, they had Eric Jones, they had Daniel Suarez, they had all these other people. And Joe Gibbs Racing, it's interesting the way Joe Gibbs Racing has figured out a way to screw himself uh, with the, them and TRD. They've ran all these people out or they put them in bad spots. Now they're going to run Eric Jones out the door. Um, and now he's might be the odd man out in all of this. Uh, a guy who might be the best theoretical talent. Better than Bubba, better than Daniel Suarez or like Ty Dillon. All these people that are out there, Corey LaJoy, who may or may not be in a position where he's going to be stuck um, because he's leaving the 32 car. Uh, may There's a lot of moving pieces here with silly season, but Bubba Wallace, I mean, Jamie Little wants to make her references because she's she's the fucking hag. Um, and she is a closet race the same way as Regan Smith and some of the other idiots I work at Fox Sports, but that's not surprising based on who they, they're employed by. Um, it's a big deal to have Michael Jordan come into this sport. He is a NASCAR person. He's from North Carolina. He's lived most of his life there. He's hung out with Richard Petty when he was a young kid. There's a picture there from back in the day, and I'm sure they don't. Uh, all their politics don't align, but I'm sure because they're both rich, I think they can certain things align. And you look at it, you think about Brad Doherty, you think about Michael Jordan, um, both going over there in North Carolina and now they're both NASCAR owners. Um, it's it's a big thing, you know. There, Julia Serving came in. There's been a lot of big time, not to the, I mean, Julius Serving is one of the greatest basketball players of all time. You know, you talk about Aikman and Staubach, two of the greatest Cowboy quarterbacks. You you, you look at Ron, or, or, I mean, you had people like Jackie Joyner-Kersey and Dan Marino, and people have come in and go in this, gone in this sport, but there's just something different about it. And I think in, its, in a sport and in a time where NASCAR basically dick steps themselves on a regular basis, this actually is a positive thing because if Michael Jordan, who's been a brand for longer than I've been alive, thinks that it's viable to come into the sport when Bob Levine is getting out of the sport, you have Bob Germain's getting out of the sport. There's charters. I think seven or seven or eight charters are, are being held by someone, something that's connected to Rick Ware which are seven or eight cars that run on a weekly basis are connected to Rick Ware. And you're telling me Michael Jordan wants to get into this? Something, I guess the guy, the Spire guy, what he said a couple of weeks ago actually has some merit because if Michael Jordan wants to do it and he's the only African-American owner in the NBA, which tells you a lot of, about the NBA, it tells you about the NFL. So, you know, there's problems there, but um, that's a separate thing. He wants to invest in a sport. He wants to invest with Denny Hamlin, who who knew that he was wanting to be an owner um, and that this long-term deal is that I think Denny Hamlin wants to stick with this sport long-term. You know, I think he figures that he might give his car to Ty Gibbs and then he might move over to his own team. Who knows? Maybe that's what it is uh, eventually or something like that. It's something to say for for that. And I I was going to say, it's like, what does it say about Denny Hamlin that he wants to put 
his own all this money he's been in this cup series for uh 14 15 years as a full-time driver and now he wants to put money back in to this sport and be an owner and then it's i mean we talked about bubba we're gonna have to talk about it more once things kind of settle out uh this is the opportunity for him to kind of prove himself and uh and really run in top flight equipment uh, the RPM equipment was only really good at super speedways and short tracks. And he proved that at Martinsville this year. He's proven that at Daytona. Uh, if it weren't for Denny Hamlin, as, yeah, now is now owner, um, ram, ram riding uh, uh, off rig. I mean, Bubba Walsh maybe wins Daytona and he's in the playoffs. Um, which would have set a lot of people off, which would have been great because um, I'm waiting for all these people that if if Bubba, if this team actually comes off and eventually gets to a level of like where Furniture Row was at um, with Cole Perrin and, and Martin Truex, the amount of people that are going to want to off themselves and amount of great jobs and opportunities that will exist in society, it will be it will just be. It's basically what Drummond will do. He wants to get eradicate certain segments of society. Well, that's a way to eradicate and go and clear out stupid and useless and uh, open up jobs for people that actually have to bust their ass and make nothing. Um, I mean, Denny Hamlin, though, Josh, uh, what does it say about him that uh, he wants to invest in the sport? Yeah, I think for Denny, it's just, uh, it's just a way for him to stay, like you said, to stay in the sport beyond his uh, – his driving career. I mean, I assuming, I mean, he'll probably be a driver for, you know, at least maybe seven to 10 years. I mean, I think he's like, what, like 38 or something like that. So reasonably he can probably stay until he's a, you know, 46 or 47, but maybe he won't, uh, maybe he thinks he can get out a little bit earlier than that and just uh, reap in the benefits or, well, I guess whatever the benefits of being an owner is and, and just stay involved with it like that and not have to commit to driving full time. But it gives it also him being a, a driver himself. It, it gives him the opportunity to maybe um, scout other talent and give other people opportunity to um, make their names in the sport. And, you know, he, he has his uh, sim racing team that he, that he has with that is sponsored by Jordan brand also, but, I mean, well, that, is, that isn't really anything, but I bring that up to say that maybe the idea comes from that. You know, he has he's had that for a while, but um, maybe um, that inspired him to become your actual owner in, in Cup. But it it's uh, something that will help him, you know, be a, a better businessman and, and form partnerships with sponsors and and, you know, learn how to negotiate deals and um you know, uh, have operating costs and all that stuff that you uh, have to do as an owner. But I think, you know, also I'll circle back to Michael Jordan. I mean, he's, you know, you mentioned all those um, people that have been involved in the sport for um, in the past, like uh, Jackie Joyner, Kurz, Brett Favre, um, Troy Aikman, Roger Staubach. Well, all those guys and girls are great athletes, but they weren't necessarily or aren't known for their business acumen and Michael Jordan, you know, he created himself in into this brand that he has today. And, 
you know, he's worth like over a billion dollars and he's one of the richest athletes in the entire world and probably just one of the richest people ever. And I think, um, well, at least right now, but I, I think for, for him, like if this doesn't work out, it's, it's kind of a drop in the bucket. There's not really like there's for him. The only risk is, is his legacy and his name. And there's no, there's no like, real financial risk that can uh come from this i think for him and and i think it does help maybe with with the way that the ownership model is now um and i think it helps that he also has his own brand that can fund the team he doesn't have to you know bob levine and jermaine those guys are all small teams they're then they they don't have the the net worth that michael jordan has so um really it's it's um only thing that he's risking here is his name and and um his legacy or I, well not really his legacy but um you know it gives him a chance to maybe um be more reputable as an owner i mean he's an owner in the nba right now but the uh charlotte hornets aren't really that great of a team since he's been an owner and a lot of people have you know, questioned his ownership ability there and and ability to run a team so maybe this also gives him a, a chance to um improve his ability to owner you know be an owner and and have pride in that and 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 all that so i i think for him this is this is um you know just an opportunity to make a name for himself in the sport yep and that's something that we're gonna be able to see uh, starting with the Daytona 500 and hopefully for uh, many years to come. Hopefully Jordan is able to, um, and this team, basically Jordan, Hamlin, Motorsport, whatever they're going to call it, uh, will be able to do um, much better uh, than where they were at when they ran in uh, the whatever the AMA series for many years. Um, I mean, that was a, they ran there for, I don't know, I'm looking at this, you know, they was just, yeah. so they ran up until 2012 and they got national. I mean, they got big time sponsors. So, I mean, it wasn't like they couldn't get people. So the notion is they'll be able to get money. Uh, they'll be able to get the best of the best because he was able to make that happen in a short amount of time in his superbike days. What it means for Bubba Wallace and for this organization, and maybe Jerry Baxter goes and moves with him, I would assume that's going to be part of it. Um, but having a pit crew, having cars, I mean, it'll get the, they're basically going to move everything from LFR and they'll just probably put it over and, in wherever their shop is going to be, uh, that'll be something. So the, a lot to to go over, a lot to figure out, and we'll discuss it as this season comes to an end and go into the off season when we're doing the off season episodes here of the GSP. Now, before this announcement came out, it had been another announcement, big one for next year as well. Uh, Ross Chastain will be the driver of the number forty two. Chip Ganassi Racing uh, Chevrolet in 2021, which, you know, for going back to the DC Solar failed deal where everyone thought he was going to be a championship favorite in the Xfinity series, that deal went away and then he had nothing. 
that nothing went to running with JD and then running for Nice Motorsports, which almost ended up with him winning a truck series championship last year and an opportunity with colleague where he is right now running for a possibility of an Xfinity championship. Um, your Florida guy, Josh, um, Ross Chastain, watermelon farmer, uh, grinder. He's been at this many years. He's not the youngest guy out there by any means, but he finally gets a shot in pretty top, pretty, uh, high up equipment. Uh, here in 2021 in the 42 car. Yeah, I mean, this is the opportunity of a lifetime, and it's the opportunity for him to, to show what he's made of. He's, he's in a good enough team where he can win or have the opportunity to win races and compete for um, top tens and top fives, and hopefully they're able to turn around that ride after how it's performed this year. Maybe he'll get back onto the level of uh, Kurt Busch, uh, next season but for him for Rosh Chassain I mean this was this is kind of the normal silly season news and you kind of almost expected it because uh, I guess on the the short list of drivers who are probably available to drive the 42 car I think Rosh Chassain is probably the most natural fit and really like for him this is I mean it was probably what was going to happen anyways it's kind of inevitable because I think when he made that deal with uh, Chip Ganassi to uh, drive uh, for him with uh, uh, DC Solar, I think that was probably the end goal was to get him a ride into Cup uh, in the Cup Series, and and I think he just had to kind of be put on layaway for a little bit until they could get him that that opening, and and you know the events that have transpired this year, I think that gives him the opportunity. I mean, if not, it probably would have replaced Kurt Busch eventually, and I think is so far this is given him an opportunity since since he had that uh first chance in the Nate in the Xfinity series with uh the Chip Ganassi 42 car um over there I think it allowed him to win a couple races there and give himself a chance to um show what he can do in a, a limited time and then he was able to kind of solidify himself with college racing and now he has his chance uh, in in the cup series full time and and it goes back to like when he first started in the cup series he was in start and park rides and he was able to i think really like where i first noticed him like in the cup series was i think like dover 2015 and he took the uh unsponsored car like the 15 car that's supposed to be a, a start and park car and finished like in 20th or something at dover which was at that time looked unheard of and that I think for him that shows like what kind of talent that he brings to the the Cup Series. He's gonna bring it home in one piece, but he's gonna be able to bring home uh, solid finishes and and compete for wins. And I, he's uh, had that opportunity in the Xfinity Series with Colleague and with uh, Ganassi. I think you're gonna be able to see that uh, come to fruition starting next season with uh, the 42 car. Looking to see what he's going to do. I mean, he has, he's built up a reputation uh, in this sport, uh, whether, whether earned or whether for good or bad, as somebody who doesn't give an inch in a lot of ways. He's like the guy that he ended up filling in for uh, because of uh, the injuries at Daytona with Ryan Newman. He basically won't give. Uh, especially when he's in top flight equipment. And this is definitely top flight equipment. The previous driver 
that it sounds like is going to be coming back. Uh, he he who is now setting dirt racing aflame with his uh, winning on a regular basis, which to me, I mean, he's got everything he wants along with his ability to be how he is, and it wouldn't matter, and still make a living. Uh, there's there's plenty of examples of people who went to NASCAR and then ended up not falling out of NASCAR for much for much more you know reasonable reasons and what he tried to what he did to himself. But in terms of Ross, uh, it's the the question is can his driving style is it sustainable in terms of trying to be a full-time cup series driver up in the top end of this of the circuit it's not it's one thing to go and drive for rick Ware, premium motorsports driving start and park type cars and running on old tires and just kind of getting he's one of the only ones that knows how to use a mirror obviously but there's a difference with that and then running a car that has one has been up there, has had chances to compete for a title uh, more most recently last year. I mean, it, it it in a lot of ways for me, I'm an Ernie Irvin guy. And you, they talk about the story that was on the download, how people talked about him as Swerving Irvin and his aggressiveness and having to apologize to everybody at the at, in the Talladega uh what do you call pre-race um drivers meeting in a lot of ways Ross Chastain reminds me of Ernie Irvin because it's because he's a grinder he's coming from nothing he doesn't have a whole lot of money behind him he's older he's he's there's some there's an aspect of desperation in the way that Ross Chastain drives but on the other hand you also see the emotion and the passion that he has for this sport and how much he wants to make it and be good. And I think that's as much to do with also his winning ability, not as much this year, but his winning ability, which get asked, as I'm always about winners. It, I, I guess the question, Josh is if he kind of goes down this line, which he's been on and he's similar to what Ernie was in his day prior to like 1991, is he like a one-year flame out or is he gonna because of the loyalty that chip has to him he'll be able to fade that and kind of you know set a career uh here in the in the cup series well i mean i think as long as he he doesn't uh crash the car too often or you know take himself out of contention like entirely out of races i think he'll be fine and the reason why I say it is because we have the, the 550 rules package with the high downforce, and that's what it's looking like, at least aerodynamics-wise and engine package-wise for the 2022 car. So there's going to be opportunities to be aggressive, and I think that's like one of the, the few things that might be good out of this uh, rules package is it's going to – or it has allowed for a lot more – aggressive racing and the ability to uh, recover from that and be very forgiving and allow you to, to do that. So I, I think this, you know, his driving style, as long as he doesn't be like reckless where, you know, he wrecks himself or, or causes uh, big accidents. I, I think 
it'll be fine for him and he'll be able to continue to have that driving style. I mean, he'll have to probably learn to, um, you know, be wise with the, his driving style, but, you know, I don't think that he really needs to, to change it very much. I, I think with the way the Cup Series is right now, I think he'll be able to continue to um, be as aggressive as he is in the past or, and has been as a driver so far. And we will see, I guess. I'm curious. Uh, it's it's good to see uh, a guy that's worked hard, been in the sport a while, get an opportunity. And uh, it's, it's positive also for Ganassi, a uh, relatively young driver. I think it's a start of a new, new move because Kurt Busch, I mean, he's going to run next year. We don't know. He's already starting to angle himself to be on TV. Uh, there's a strong possibility, I figure, that that's where he's trying to go to stay in the sport and uh, along with guys like Clint Boyer. So, you know, who's going to drive the one car? I don't think Monster is going to be there once Kurt leaves. So they're going to need somebody that can bring some money. So that might be an issue, but there might be some people that have driven for that organization that might be available. Um, a la Tyler Reddick, a la John Hunter Nemechek. Those might be p- people that are available by for the 2022 season. And then you have a really young, fresh, hungry team uh, with some good people in place already and possibilities uh, abound for a good future. Uh, the last part, I think we've is the one that we have to kind of dig into or maybe we don't have to. Uh, Texas Motor Speedway loses a points race to Circuit of the Americas, but in turn, they're going to get the all-star race. Um, before I say my my bit here, um, I mean, what is it? I, I guess we'll, we'll, you can angle it however you want to. Josh, in terms of that particular announcement, you know, the whole Texas thing. Uh, what are your what were your thoughts and good, bad and the ugly? Well, I mean, it gives an opportunity for some scheduled diversity in the Cup Series for the um, points races. And there's going to be another road course race. So we'll actually have a, th- a third road course or a fourth road course, if you want to count um, the Charlotte Roval there. But for for Texas, they still get to keep their races and uh, keep their revenue. But now that it just means that one of them is not going to count and it gives them a little bit of a different uh, promotion that they can have. And and uh, doesn't really change the all star race because it's going to be essentially the same as what it was, except for this year. Um, Maybe maybe they race a little bit different at Texas because uh, it's the all star race and there's not going to be a whole lot in the line. I imagine it'll probably be like a, a midweek race. Maybe um, they might try to play that angle this or coming next year to um, for NASCAR and try to continue to test the waters of uh, midweek TV there and see how that turns out. But I mean, I don't really, I mean, like for the all series, I don't really see the point of it anymore. Um, I mean, the only way that the all-star race would be a viable product at least on television is if you put it at talladega or daytona um those are really the only two tracks that would actually match the hype of the all-star race because 
evidently it's or eventually it's going to get strung out um you know there's always going to be the guy that drives away from the field even if they made it a 10 lap shootout like especially with how texas is right now they can barely even sustain it for two laps um side by side so i you know it's it's going to be a whatever race uh because it's uh texas especially with uh the new conver- uh, the new uh configuration that they had uh since 2017 with the uh different banking in each turn and and uh the repave that they had but I think it's uh, it's just a way to keep the money flow and the cash flow to Texas. That's all it is. Yeah, well, it, the fact is Texas Motor Speedway is a dump. It always has been. Uh, it's one of the crappiest racetracks ever made. I mean, it, it, you, you talk about Texas Motor Speedway. I mean, they're going to go to Putin Drome for Formula One, which is one of the worst Formula One tracks ever made. Um, Texas Motor Speedway has been... Uh, a part of some of the worst uh, action that people talk about the IRL and those pack races, but then you've had Davey Hamilton almost get mangled, you know, Kenny Breck, serious wreck there. Uh, you had uh, Ryan Briscoe get hurt there. Tony Roper got killed there. Um there's there's been a lot of negatives along with I mean just the terrible product that you have there. Um, from the moment they've raced started racing there, they've had issues with weepers. Then they made the new turns and they have two different turns and it's it's just really dumb. Um, I'm I, I know Kyle Petty said this about Darlington years ago and I said it yesterday on Talking in Circles. They might as well just fill the place with water put fish in it and run the, have the Bassmasters classic there. That's what they should do. And then throw Eddie Gossage in there and whoever catches his fat ass goes and gets an extra prize. I mean, that's literally what it is. He's a waste. He he seems like an in inbred politician douchebag. Uh, at somehow or another, because he's a ball liquor uh, along with other people that are his ilk, um, seem to go and get up to positions of power. And he's run one of the worst racetracks in the history of the world. And somehow or another, not only do they still keep two races, but one of them is the all-star race. And the other race is going to be in the playoff, probably during a Cowboy game at home, which would be amazing. That's what I want. I want Formula One to be scheduled uh, as long as Coda is still, you know, fully functional. Cause obviously if the cup series is going there, they have to be functional. And Josh and I talked this offline based on some things that I've seen on social media, there's a possibility a certain captain might be involved in um, Coda um, sooner rather than later. Um, along with Iowa Speedway and maybe other things to go and talk about viability for not only IndyCar, but for motorsport. Um, But they're probably going to have Formula One, the U.S. Grand Prix. They're going to have the cup date, their their one regular race. They'll run the same day and there will probably be a Cowboy game, too. That would be the perfect. That would be the trifecta because then, I mean, I don't think Coda, Coda will, will probably avoid it. That's the thing. Uh, and they, they're going to probably be a little bit more aware uh, and angle accordingly 
to make sure that doesn't come through. But I figure Texas Motor Speedway will end up getting put on a week where the Dallas Cowboys end up having a home game and then they'll get screwed. Um, so that the super spreader event will be spread between Texas Motor Speedway and um, AT&T Stadium. Um, but we will see, I guess. Um, I think, I, I mean, we, we talk about Coda and having an actual road course again on the schedule. It'll be the third actual road course with Snoroma and, of course, Watkins Glen. Um, it's a track that with Formula One, it's difficult, challenging. Uh, you will get spread out. It is it is not the usual tilky drone. But if it, we don't know if they're going to run the full circuit, if they're going to run the half circuit, which is what the supercars ran years ago. Um, we we don't really know a lot about that situation either. But let's just say they're going to run the full circuit, Josh. What do you think of? I mean, minus the obvious issues that NASCAR brings with their the way they run races. What do you think of what we will see? at least with the cup series. I don't know if they're going to have all three series or not, but at least with the cup series, what are we going to see uh, in terms of racing product? Is it going to be more like Snoroma? Is it going to be more like Watkins Glen? Maybe it's a Xf- more like in the Xfinity type road course races that they have. What do you think is going to come of uh, the Coda deal? Yeah, I think maybe it might be a little bit of what we see at Watkins Glen and some something similar to what we get from the Road America races and Mid Ohio races in the Xfinity series. So uh, I think maybe for reference, you might have to start looking at the the supercar races. Although they do handle a little bit differently, they're the most similar car to uh, what the Cup Series uh, cars have, and and they're going to be similar here in a few more years once they go to the next gen car, but. I think you'll have to kind of reference those races to kind of see what the racing product might end up being like. And I'm sure that in the off season, they'll probably do some iRacing events with the stock cars, or you can probably look, look some up on YouTube and kind of get a a feel for what it might look like um, in, in person. But uh, I think for, for the procedural parts, um, I think it's probably not going to be ideal with uh, the stages and, and how we've seen strategy play out with uh, stage racing on the road courses. It just seems like it's taken a lot of the strategy out of the races and has made it um, kind of taking out a little of the, the fun factor from road courses when you look at it from a, a strategy perspective. And that's something, something I haven't really liked with uh, stage racing and, I I have to wonder if they're going to make some changes to um, the points model for these races on the road courses to make it more palatable for the fans and and to allow for better strategy uh, for the teams because the way the way the straight racing is played out it's uh, it's it's allowed them to not really have to uh, play into the the fuel mileage like it used to with with uh, Sonoma and, and Watkins Glen it just just seems like that they they run these races um, a lot differently because they seem like before, like you would try to um, plan your pit stops to split the race or or um, take as many as few pit stops as possible. But now it's like you just throw strategy out the window and and it's more about just who has um, the best uh, 
you know the the best car and everything and and I mean that's part of it but there's there's an element to road course racing um, that I think um, we haven't seen in a while in the Cup Series and and even in other series too just because how stage racing kind of changes the strategy from what we had in the past and and I think maybe like it could end up being more like Sonoma actually maybe. Um, with with those stages, that's something I maybe didn't consider when I originally made my point. But um, it's it's going to be an interesting race to see for sure, and hopefully this is more than just a one year thing. Yeah, I hope so too. I I would like to believe that they're going to go and and commit to a, a, at least a couple of years, two three year deal to go and. Because bad year's not going to make a good tire the first year, so it's going to be probably pretty bad. Um, the new car, they're going to have to R&D that deal out as well. So they're going to need a year for that. Then they're going to have to go, and and probably by year three, they might have a good product. Um, will people show up? Who knows what they're going to do? To me, based on what I've seen and heard, I think there might be a double. I would assume there would be a double header opportunity there. You would think Xfinity would run, which would add another road course to the Xfinity schedule. Um, that would be interesting. Uh, more road courses. I mean, I, I would also say that when you consider Cindric probably is going to be moving up. There aren't that many road course ringers out there, so it probably isn't such a great thing for the Xfinity series, but who knows? They have to figure out what they're going to do with each series, and they have to probably start looking at um, rebranding or how each uh, series in the top three kind of runs relative or even counting the the um, K&N series, uh, basically the whatever, not K&N, the ARCA, ARCA series, ARCA and ARCA East and West. Um, there's probably a lot of things that have to be gone over between now and uh, 2021, let alone, you know, future past that. Um, uh, you know, we have other things in terms of uh, the silly season. We'll definitely look into that in more detail as more news comes along and uh, you'll be able to get We'll be able to provide you all that information here on the GSP. But after all that, we'll uh, go into the recaps here. The Bristol, the uh, night race at Bristol, uh, Saturday night, definitely an interesting one. Uh, the We had a TV uh, outage deal here because um, Jim Dolan... Um, I was going to make a reference to how Michael Jordan owned the New York Knicks uh, better than Jim Dolan has uh, because I'm a Knicks fan, unfortunately. Well, I was. I just don't care about basketball anymore. They're that bad. Um, but uh, the TV went out, but then the app was working. So I was able to watch uh, a great battle between Kevin Harvick and uh, Kyle Busch. Uh, Kevin Harvick wins his ninth race of uh, of 2020, his 58th career uh, Cup Series win, which is just insane. Um, he started the year tied with his buddy and car owner, Tony Stewart. 
And since then, he's passed Kyle Busch, and and he's passed Junior Johnson, Ned Jarrett, Krusty Wallace, Kyle Busch. I mean, I it's this is something. I it's it's crazy to think, Josh. I I, I mean, I mean, what do you think of the race? But to me, this is the best season that has happened. I mean, we could probably get into, like, Gordon in 2007. There might be a couple of years of, like, Johnson, but I don't remember him as well off the top. To me, this is the closest thing to Jeff Gordon's 1998 year that we've had since. But what are you, what were your thoughts on the race on Saturday night at Bristol? Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a decent Bristol race. Uh, I thought, uh, you know, initially it seemed like Brad Keselowski – had the car early on, but then he had problems with uh, his uh, handling and power steering, I think. And and then um, it was going to, you know, Chase Elliott was up front for a bit, and I thought maybe he might have a, a shot to um, go out and lead laps. But then it turned out to be Kyle Busch kind of turned on his uh, car in the second stage, and then ended up winning that stage. And and then he, uh, him and Kevin Harvick battled out uh, throughout the uh, rest of the race, really, and and um, came down to it at the end. Like, could Kyle Busch um, mount up enough of a challenge to get to the rear bumper of Kevin Harvick? And he was never able to do that. And looked like maybe he might get close at the last corner. They ran into some laugh traffic, and uh, there might have been a moment where he was able to, but he just wasn't able to get close enough. And um, maybe he like if he really tried to overdrive the corner and and um, you know just flat out uh, spin or take out or spin out Kevin Harvick maybe he could have done that but I think Kyle Busch was trying to do it um, as clean but as aggressive as he could without uh, doing too much and it was really a dominant race between between those drivers and you look at the running order, only six, six cars finished on the lead lap in that race, which um, is uh, about typical for Bristol when you when you think about it um, and how these races can play out there. But it just shows you just how dominant Kevin Harvick was and and, and Kyle Busch as well. They they both had really good cars, and uh, for Kyle, this is a missed opportunity uh, to win a race because it's probably his best chance to win for the rest of the season, um, barring, I mean, he could win the road course race or Martinsville or Talladega, but I don't really see him like having the, the pace uh, at any, at the other racetracks that we have coming up uh, here in the playoffs for him to win a race. But for Kevin Harvick, I mean, but yeah, you're right. This is the most dominant season probably since uh, 1998. Um, he's on pace to have over 10 wins and probably could end up having, um, 12 to 13 when we're finished, which would tie a record in the modern era of NASCAR uh, with Jeff Ward in 1998. And he's had the the stats to um, be on pace for that. And I mean, if this was a, a regular uh, series where they just counted up the points and didn't do any of this manipulation with the playoff format, it was like how it was up until 2003. I mean, this probably be like an all-timer but unfortunately we're basically going to have to wait until turn three at phoenix to see if uh in turn four to see if um he ends up winning because when you come down to it if say like somebody like brad keselowski or 
Denny Hamlin's on his rear bumper, or maybe they bump him out of the way in the last corner and he loses the championship if, you know, they're all racing for the championship. And, and um, that would be really unfortunate. And it would show, it would finally probably show that how, how bad of a format this is if um, it came down to it like that. And it would, you know, show the intensity as well as the major drawbacks to this type of championship system that we have. But, um, you know, with all that withstanding, I mean, it should be correctly viewed as a, one of the most dominant seasons ever in the history of the sport. And that's what I fear. I mean, you brought up great points there as always, Josh, but that's the fear I have. He has, I mean, uh, thanks to racing reference, of course, he has a 6.2 average finish in 29 races. He's ran at the finish of every race. He's been on the lead lap of 27 of the 29. Uh, right now, he has a 19-point lead going into the start of the second round um, of the uh, of the playoff here over Denny Hamlin. I mean, Denny Hamlin's having a great year, too, but his average finish is 9.6. So he's given up three and a half spots per per race. I mean, so, I mean, theoretically, that's, I mean, three spots per race times 30, 29 races. 20, 20, 30, 30, 30, 90. It's almost like 80-something, you know, it's 87 points. Um you know, there are 29, whatever, 30, yeah, something around there. Um, the reality is you're you're talking about all-time uh, 19 top fives, 24 top tens. It's ridiculous. He's he's led over 1,400 laps. Um, I, it's crazy. I would have never thought when Kevin Harvick was driving at RCR that he'd be – flirting with 60 cup wins um he's been flirting with that second championship ever since he's went to Stuart Haas and he's been in the final four a few times and they haven't had a car for Homestead but now Homestead's out the door they get to go to Phoenix which is one of his best racetracks pre-reconfigure and even in the current crappy configuration they have now um It'll be something to see if he can get there and if they can close the deal. It's the same thing for Hamlin. He's always been known as somebody that can't close, but um, would he be able to get there, number one? And then number two, would he be able to do what he has to do uh, to get get the job done? I mean, Brad Keselowski had a brutal night after the early part of the race, uh, losing the power steering. His car... um, they ended up parking him due to not being able to maintain minimum speed, which was interesting to me, um, which will go into Kyle Bush. You brought up Kyle Bush, Josh, and um, he finished second in this race and he won stage two, finished second in stage one, the second most laps led, but his, he was pretty tame and kind of managed himself on TV. But with the, uh, written media on the zoom call he kind of went off uh he basically said they're going to get eliminated after this round uh he threw and said that garrett smithley and uh joey gase are, are garbage which i mean 
to be honest, they are. Um, that's that's not a lie. Um, the way that Joey Gase was driving, um, he poss- probably cost um, um, what's his name, uh, Cuckold Byron, a chance at uh, advancing. There, Falwell's boy uh, ran into Chris Bell, which knocked out the radiator, and that was the end of the day for him. I mean, I, I guess what we'll say is, like, Kyle Busch, they keep on pushing the narrative about him. He hasn't won. He's only won one race in the last 51, and we could make an argument that he shouldn't have won that race. Uh, he got helped by his two teammates is the reason why he won that race. Um, your thoughts, Josh, on what he said post-race uh, on the Zoom call about the standard driving standards, especially with the slower vehicles relative to some of the, um, you know, like they parked Brad Keselowski, but they didn't park Garrett Smithley. They didn't, and they were, they were like 70 laps down, 60 laps down. Joey Gase finished 37 laps down. Um, I mean, that's, that's pathetic. I mean, that's be, I don't care if you're not on new tires or whatever, if you can't maintain speed, there should be some standard, but it's NASCAR. They're consistently inconsistent. Um, what do you take away from what uh, Kyle said uh, post-race there? Well, I mean, it's just typical Kyle Busch um, being sour after a race when that he doesn't uh, end up winning. doesn't matter if it's the, the Cup Series or if it's the Xfinity Series or the Truck Series. If he performed like this on any level, you're going to see – uh, that type of sourness after the race. And I mean, he's not wrong. Like you said, uh, Joey Gase and Garrett Smithley being in the way, uh, there's no reason that they should have been on track. And I mean, being that many amount of laps down, they're not going to make up any positions. So what's the point of being out there? They could have parked it early with like 50 laps ago and just called it a night. And they still would have finished in the same spot probably. But, um, for him, like he, for Kyle Busch, this is probably similar to his 2012 season in the Nationwide Series with uh, his original Kyle Busch Motorsports team when he first tried to expand into the um, Nationwide Series from from the trucks, and he struggled that year, and um, then he went back to Gibbs support the next year and ended up winning a lot of races that year, but um, this is a similar level of performance, I think, and it shows that there is a, a level of unevenness, relatively speaking, in within the, the Gibbs organization, because you have Martin Truex and Denny Hamlin, who both won races this year and have performed relatively well, and then you have Kyle Busch and Eric Jones, who have just massively struggled throughout the entire season, and and certainly for Kyle Busch, uh, struggled a, a whole bunch and low to his standards, but I think for for him, like I mean, he's got every right to complain about Garrett Smithley and and Joey Gase. Um, I I don't know about Joey Logano. Um, I guess maybe he just feels that there were parts of the race where Joey Logano uh, was in the way for him and impeded his progress. And I I think I feel like he's definitely got every right to complain about it. Um, and I I think he's very valid in his points and. And at least, you know, somebody's at least calling out some of the drivers for, you know, not being good enough for being fast enough on the racetrack. And maybe the, the sport looks into it. Maybe, I don't know, I probably not. But 
I think for him it's just um, typical of of him to complain after the race and nothing wrong with it. Just just how he is. Yeah, that's what he is. Uh, you know, no matter what, everyone that wants to defend him, he has his ardent defenders and fans, and they're one of the segments that they seem to cater to, which is why the the I mean. Full full dis full credit. The reality is he's one of the best talents there's been in men in in the last twenty years of the Cup Series. Absolutely, he's a top five douchebag of all time too. And it, being able to separate one from the other is fine. It's it, it's something for me personally. Being a Tony Stewart fan, people hated Tony Stewart, and people still do. People cause a murder Kevin Ward. The reality is, and but at the same time, he went and he's been, he's given and he's given to like animal shelter. He's given to families, and he's taking care of so many people. It's it's the same way as Dale Earnhardt ran over everybody on the track for years, but. He was a giver, and he didn't want anyone to know about it. Kyle Busch is starting to angle himself that way, too. Um, he has a horrible disposition. Um, he can't deal, and they all had a similar thing. They didn't deal with losing very well, and this year is an off year for him. It isn't. He doesn't have the best of the best. Um, they've had to work harder than they usually have to do, and no practice has really hurt him. Um, he had a car that could have won. Yeah, he hit the lappers the wrong way, maybe, in some cases. Yeah, Joey Logano raced him hard. But he, you look at Joey Logano's position right now, he's fourth in points. He's trying to uh, give himself a cushion. He only has a one-point lead on, on Elliott, and he only has a six-point lead on Truex. And you're trying to make the round of eight, and you look at from seventh to twelfth right now is only eight points starting this second round. Every point matters. Joey Logano ends up finishing 11th in that race, two laps down in a race where only six cars finish on a lead lap. Uh, I mean, he had his right and he understood what he was trying to do to, so he didn't lose two laps. So he could possibly get the lap back at the lucky dog, um, you know, like, or get a wave round or something. It, with Joey Logano, the fact that they want to cry about him, it's easy. The narrative is easy. He's unlikable. He's douchey. He looks like a pizza face and being daddy's money. All, all these things. And But I, I would love to see Joey Logano just like unfiltered go off on, on Kyle Busch and Denny Hamlin. And even Tony Stewart, I'd be interested. I don't think he has the balls to do the Tony Stewart part, but I know you would have the balls to do Kyle Busch and Denny Hamlin because they are definitely characters that are um, malfunctioning figures for sure. Um, Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, Eric Jones in the well-painted or well-wrapped auto owner's insurance uh, 20 car uh, that's the scheme they should use, but they won't because Martin Truex doesn't know how to run a good paint, and that day hasn't run a good paint scheme since he drove the Furniture Row car. Um, Tyler Reddick finishes fourth. Eric Almirola and Clint Boyer benefit from uh, the pit stop sequence there to not only advance, but um, go and get top fives, and Almirola's case six for Boyer. Chase Elliott, first car, one lap down. In seventh, Chris Busher, Ryan Priest, 
who it seems like right now he's going to be coming back. He'll get another opportunity. And Michael McDowell finished the top 10. Uh, Logano, Dylan, Blaney, Kenseth, Kurt Busch, uh, top 15. Um, when it comes to uh, who advanced and who got eliminated, uh, Josh, we had Ryan Blaney, of course, um, which I think the penalty at Darlington really set the tone for for Blaney in this round. Um, that's typical of... Um, of uh I'm forgetting his name uh the crew chief for him but he uh Todd Gordon yeah so Todd Gordon he's done this before and it's derailed teams it derailed Joey Logano a couple years ago where he missed the playoff altogether and then came back the next year and won the championship but uh Blaney misses uh the second round Cole Custer who for you know, for everything you want to talk about him, mean, he got his first cup win. He's the cup rookie of the year. He wasn't the best rookie this year. Um, Tyler Reddick has been the best rookie. You can make an argument. There's been times this year where Chris Bell's been better than him. Um, him missing a second round isn't that shocking. Will Byron has been inconsistent all year. Uh, picked up here in recent weeks. He got you know, the Joey Gase deal kind of screwed him over. And of course, Matt Benedetto, who probably hasn't run well since June and backed into the playoffs because of uh, the misfortune for Jimmy Johnson. Um, what do you take away, Josh, from who made it versus who went out and any surprises or maybe we, it's like Blaney. Uh, what do we say about Blaney and where, he has to be as he goes into 2021 after a year where he had decent pace. He only has one win, but he has a lot of stage points. He has the seventh most stage points in or playoff points in the, in the series right now. And he, he at best, I don't know how the math or whatever works, but at best he can only the best he could finish is fifth. That's how it used to be. I don't know if that's the case now, but that's a pretty disappointing way to go and get knocked out in the first round. Yeah, for Ryan Bellini, this is probably a very disappointing season because, like you said, he he had a lot of stage points, and there are times throughout the year where he looked like he was pretty competitive, at least in the first two stages. But like I've been saying throughout uh, this summer is that uh, he's been – very fraudulent in the third stage and just hasn't quite had the level of performance that you need. And, and he was uh, high as third in the standings. That was partly because he was getting carried by his uh, stage points. They had that helped them reach that level in the standings. And I mean, if we didn't have the, the playoff system, he'd be in seventh place, which would be a little bit more respectable, I think. But when you look at like a lot of the laps that he's led and, and, the pace that he's shown in some of the races, you wonder why he hasn't won any more races. Um, and I think that's something that they've got to focus on for next year and make the last couple of races for this year is um, if they can close in the, the final stage and, and not lose positions and, and keep up with the car and, and uh, other cars and um, be in contention for wins and top fives at the end of the races. Cause right now it's like, 
you know, you can count on him getting stage points in the first two stages, but then you can't count on him when it actually matters. And, and um, you know, like for him, it's just uh, not a not a good way for him to start out or or um, end the year. And and it's disappointing because um, just just uh, wasn't expecting that from him this year. But we'll see how it goes next year. Maybe they can improve their performance and maybe they can improve and go on a championship run. But for the other drivers, I mean, it's not surprising that they didn't make it. I mean, at least we saw some kind of strategy with uh, De Benedetto, and they were able to at least try to lead a couple of laps and, and hang around there. And there were points in the race where he was um, on the edge of making it in or making it in if he was leading the race. And, and just uh, their strategy just didn't work out, and they didn't quite have the handle on the final stage and they end up finishing uh, three laps down in that race. So not really surprising that I didn't make it in uh, to the top 12, but um, that's how they've been since uh, the middle of the summer. And then you look at uh, the rest of the field that didn't make it in. Cole Custer, no surprise. I'm a little surprised that he finished 13th in this round. I thought maybe his performance might have been like a 15th or, or 14th level finish, but uh i mean good for him for being the best of the rest uh and then william byron probably had the best shot to make it into the uh the next stage or the next round but then he ended up getting in that accident and wasn't able to continue after that but i think maybe if he uh didn't get crashed that maybe he could have provided some excitement at the end and uh tried to fight for the last spot and that race was getting a little tight, but um, it's, I guess for him it's disappointing. And for the guys that made it in, obviously we talk about Kyle Busch uh, being one of the drivers that made it in, and he was he was um, in that bottom four uh, of the guys that were to the good, so good for him to make it in. Uh, Kurt Busch, uh, also good for him to make it in as well. Um, wasn't really a factor in this race, but he did what he needed to do to um, make it into the round of 12. Uh, Clint Boyer, a uh, solid race for him, ended up finishing in sixth place in, in this race. So he did you know, and what he had to do to um, make it in. And also the same thing goes for Alec, um, Eric Almirola finishing in fifth, uh, one spot ahead of his teammate. So both of those drivers um, got the finish that they needed to uh, make it into the top 12. And now it's a question if they can make it past this uh, round into the round of eight. And we'll have to find out in the next couple of weeks here. And this next round is going to have Vegas on Sunday evening on the East Coast. And uh, it'll be Sunday afternoon early out in uh, Vegas. Uh, Then they'll have Talladega. And then the Roval will be the cutoff for round two before they go to two cookie cutters and Martinsville to decide to get to the top, to the final four. So we will see. Uh, it's very close between Alex Bowman and uh, Kurt Busch points-wise, only eight points. So there's definitely a lot of volatility right there. Uh, there's six points between Logano and Martin Truex for what is right now uh, a pseudo-bump spot, but it's not the actual Denny Hamlin, Brad Keselowski have a gap 
they have a little bit of uh, a cushion uh, above one another, but not only that, above everybody else. And of course, Kevin Harvick is the uh, points leader with a 19-point gap going into the second round in terms of playoff points. He has a 14-point uh, lead in terms of pay- playoff points over Denny Hamlin. Uh, we will move on to the Xfinity Series race at uh, at Bristol, the uh, the Food City 300, which saw Chase Briscoe get his seventh win of 2020, Josh. And um, but I, I mean, we basically saw the top three guys in this series. Uh, you had Allgaier dominate early, then you had. Brisker Sindrick put himself in position to win in a in a career year, and then you have um, Chase Briscoe go out there and and benefit and do what he had to do to go and get that victory. Uh, as we get towards this playoff, I mean, is there is there really a favorite? I mean, there's three guys that have all really shown out. Um, is is I mean, is there really a favorite amongst those three in your mind? And can any is there anybody that could go and win outside of these three, win this championship? Well, I think out of these three, I, I would have to say the favorite might be uh, Chase Briscoe. Uh, I think Las Vegas probably favors his driving style uh, for him. And, I mean, he won at Las Vegas earlier this year, so that helps too. And I think he's good enough to be a threat at Talladega and and at uh, Kansas and, and Texas and and even at, at Martinsville, too. I mean, uh, we'll have to see if how how he can perform at uh, the Charlotte Roval. But uh, for the rest of the field, I mean, I think his closest threat is probably Austin Sindrick. And and Austin Sindrick has a chance at some of the years races, too. And. He's definitely a threat at the road course for him. That's probably the one he's got circled in to make sure he can get in the uh, the playoffs. And and then he could win at Kansas. He almost won there back in in uh, late July. And he won at uh, Fort Worth at, at Texas back uh, in July also. So those are some good tracks for him coming up that could help him make it to Phoenix. And then uh, Justin Allgaier. Um, I think probably out of that three, I think he's probably the weakest one just because of the uh, consistency issues that he's had throughout the season. But uh, for him, um, certainly it, it's possible he could make it in uh, all the way to Phoenix if it, if it works out for him. But I think um, maybe somebody that we um, could see as like a um, somebody you don't expect to make a playoff run is Brandon Jones. Um, he's won three races this year, and he just seems like the kind of driver that could randomly win a race and just be the surprise driver that makes it to Phoenix. Um, I mean, he's won it at Kansas already, and Las Vegas could be a, like a, a track where he just randomly wins at or something, and even like Talladega, uh, that that could be uh, something to see if, if uh, he could – uh, punch is taken in at Talladega uh, for the next round a- uh, after uh, Charlotte. But uh, I think 
think he could probably uh, be that surprise driver, and and he does have enough uh, race winning experience this year to maybe back that up. Um, and maybe another driver that we we could see is uh, you know Noah Gregson. Um, maybe uh, he's got something left in the tank for the the playoffs, and he can mount up a run and uh, compete for the championship. But I think probably Briscoe has a slight edge over Sindrick now that uh, he's won another race and solidified himself um, in the playoffs. But uh, I think for the rest of the guys, uh, it's a little bit after Austin Sindrick. Um, it's a little bit of a, a toss-up as to see who, who can make it all the way to Phoenix. Yeah, it's something that we're going to have to look in. It, it Right now, the points have... Briscoe and Sindrick at 2050 after the reset. Um, they have a 17-point lead over Justin Allgaier, who in turn has a 8-point lead over his teammate Noah Gregson. And uh, then it kind of balances out after that. Um, basically, there's a 25-point gap from from uh, Noah Gregson to Brandon Brown, who makes it on the cutoff in 12th. Uh, There wasn't really a whole lot of drama with that. There was opportunity for it to become dramatic at times. Darlington was one example of that. Um, What is it? Uh, uh, Jeremy Clements was running up in the top 10, and then he had an electrical issue, which in turn cost him an opportunity to make a lot of points because I think Brandon Brown got wrecked early. He was involved in a wreck, I think, with uh, there was like a lap two or three wreck with uh, with Daniel Hemrick. Uh, there was a couple other instances where Brandon Brown fell out early, but the uh, 51 couldn't make any ground, which uh, basically put put the put an end to the opportunity for them. Um, we will see what happens. Of course, same uh, three races for the uh, the Xfinity series, but they're running round one versus running uh, round two. And uh, we will see what they're able to do there. And uh, starting on Saturday night at, uh, at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Um, the truck series, it was definitely an interesting uh, deal there for the truck series. But Sam Mayer, second-generation driver, his dad was a fail in the um, IRL. Uh, he figured out a way to fail to qualify for the Indianapolis 500 in the IRL, which tells you how bad he was. But uh, his son definitely... Uh, it's pretty darn good. Uh, Sam Mayer went out there in the opening race for the playoffs and won, beating uh, beating Brett Moffitt, uh, Tanner Gray, who's a non-playoff driver, Parker Kligerman, who's an announcer these days, and uh, Chandler Smith in the 51 truck as uh, the top five. A couple of playoff drivers there, Enfinger Ankrum, uh, finished there 6th and 7th, Matt Crafton 10th, Creed Eckes 11th and 12th base. What is it from 10th through 14th? We're all playoff drivers. Zane Smith finished 16th was the worst of the playoff drivers. Uh, Trevor Bain had actually finished Austin fifth. Hill. 
yeah or yeah austin hill sorry um austin hill oh yeah that's right austin hill uh finished 25th so um and then trevor bain who had actually finished top five on the racetrack uh got dq'd so uh what did you what did you see there sam Mayer, uh he's definitely got a future got a lot of money behind him but big deal in a playoff opener to go and upset his teammates uh typical you know gms uh domination but it isn't the usual suspect at least not this year probably next year uh for at least half a year before he gets into a junior motorsports xfinity car uh, sam Mayer, he's definitely got a future and in terms of the championship uh whatever gap or benefits that austin hill had built up in the regular season is already gone yeah i mean i'm disappointed for austin hill because i've looked at him as somebody who could be a contender for this uh truck series championship but then he got in a wreck with the other austin in, in the truck series austin wayne self and then he got a penalty uh right after that and ended up finishing five laps down and off the pace so i'm a little bit disappointed that he wasn't able to finish any higher than that or even com- uh, really compete for a top 10 or something like that. He started in fifth and probably would have had a better race if it weren't for that incident. Um, and, uh, you know, for Sam Mayer, uh, Sam Mayer ended up winning the race. Uh, wasn't sure if he'd actually win, but he was able to get a, a good run on the last screen front uh, flag run and he was able to get around Brett Moffitt and take the lead, and they ended up winning the race. And one of the younger drivers to ever win in NASCAR, not the youngest, I don't think, but, I mean, to put it in perspective, the last Cup Series driver to win a race before uh, Sam Mayer was born was Robbie Gordon at uh, Sonoma back in 2003, in uh, June 2003. So that's a little perspective there uh, to show you just how young he is. But... He's got a future, like you said, uh, if he can win like that in the truck series at Bristol, and then he'll probably win more races come down the road. And then he went and jumped in an ARCA car and basically repeated the performance. Although, granted, in ARCA, the level of competition is significantly lower, but the fact that you're able to jump in one car uh, that maybe handles a little bit differently and then jump in a completely different car uh, and then go win back-to-back just shows the level of talent, but also level of uh, discipline and focus and and um, fitness you have to uh, be able to do that back-to-back. So uh, good win for him. Um, as far as for Brett Moffitt, this is probably the way you wanted to start other than winning the race, uh, you know, being the highest finishing playoff driver in, in the field uh, definitely sets the tone, at least for the next couple of races. He's got an eight-point lead over Sheldon Creed, so at least he has that advantage going for him, although um, certainly not secure of an advantage. Uh, could change in the next race here at Las Vegas or after that, but for uh, Sheldon Creed, he's only eight points back, so it's not like you have to panic or anything. But I think for me, like the guy that you, you um, have to worry about is probably Austin Hill and Christian Eckes. Because both of the drivers seem pretty strong, or you would have thought they were uh, fairly good enough uh, to contend for the title. But Austin Hill already on the edge of not making it, 
uh, to the next round than Christian Eckes, uh, somebody that we thought would be a um, dark horse contender, uh, only finished 12th, but he's only uh, or he's already 36 uh, points back uh, from the lead. So something to be concerned about going forward in, in, in the truck series and in their elimination races. So we'll see how how that goes for for him. And hopefully uh, Austin Hill can recover and uh, show what he can do in his car. Um, we'll have to see if he can get out of that hole and, and make a comeback. And if not, then, well, he had a, a decent regular season, I guess. Um, but for the rest of the GMS team, this is the type of weekend that they needed. And and also for the uh also for the uh, Thor Sport guys as well, not quite as good of a weekend as what they wanted, but uh, they did have Grant Infrager on the pole, and um, the rest of their cars had a decent day, but hopefully they can be more competitive going forward. Yeah, that's, I mean, the, the super teams are continuing to do what they do. Uh, you know, it was nice to see some of the smaller groups there, with the DGR Crosley and uh, the 75 team there, which is a home game for them. Uh, Parker Kligerman, who at one time was a, was a prospect in this sport to go and get a top five finish there. I'm starting in tailback as Rusty would say, Um, you know, the Ross Chastain starting tailback and getting a top 10 finish basically showing that he's literally the only person that can drive a Nice Motorsports vehicle um, up front, though Trevor Bain actually did run well, uh, but they got DQ'd, which is uh, seemingly a thing that Nice seems to do uh, as well. Um, he had a couple starting parks there, Uncle Norm and uh, Josh Rayum and Austin Wayne Self um, was good as usual, um, causing a wreck, um, being the douche that he is. Um, Stu Ball, Cody Robaugh, uh, Cody Erickson driving for um, Dawson Cram's team there, uh, went and got a finish. Um, I mean, but for Austin Hill, definitely it's going to be after this regular season, the way he ran and to be in a position where he's going to have to Possibly, you know, he's he's only got a two-point lead on Christian Eckes. He's four points behind Ben Rhodes. He only got eight points on Todd Gilland. I mean, if he has a, a rough Vegas, it could be a real problem going to Talladega. But, of course, the that Hattori team has shown over time they can run super speedways. Uh, these one-and-a-half-mile racetracks also kind of suit them uh as well uh going into the gsp roundup before we get into the previews here for uh the um races this weekend the lamar 24 hours was won by the uh, toyota team no shock buemi nakajima hartley win another uh 24 hours of lamar over the Rebellion team of Bruno Senna, Norman Nato, and Gustavo Menezes of the USA. And the second Toyota, which had problems, uh, finished a lap behind that, uh, the number one Rebellion car. So the 
winning margin was five laps for the um, number eight car. Then in terms of LMP2, Phil Hansen, Felipe Albuquerque runs here in the uh, IMSA championship and Paul DeResta, the former Formula One driver, current Sky F1 uh, analyst, runs for United Autosport, which is run by Zach Brown, partly by Zach Brown. Uh, they win in uh, LMP2, very hotly contested race, uh, beat Anthony Davidson, another Sky F1 driver, Antonio Felix da Costa, the defending Formula E world champion, and Roberto Gonzalez in uh, the uh, Joda Sport car, uh, Nico Jamin, Julian Canel, and Matteo Vexvier in the Pani Racing Orica finished third. Uh, standouts. I mean, it was a deep field. The the full uh, the three ladies, uh, Calderon, who's a scrub in in open wheel, but is worthwhile in in, in a P2 car. Sophia Flourish, who's most famous for almost eating it at Macau, and then Betske Vitzer in the Richard Mill uh, all women's team. They finished in the top ten in their class there. So that's a big deal. Um, in terms of the GT pro Maxime Martin, Alex Lynn, Harry Tinknell coming from the Ford team wins for Aston Martin over the AF Corsa team of Alex, Alessandro Perguidi, James Collado and Daniel Serra in terms of the GT am, uh, Ulich, Johnny Adam, Charlie Eastwood in an Aston Martin win over the uh, Dempsey Proton Porsche of Matt Campbell, Christian Reed, and Ricardo Pera. So that was the 24 Hours of Lamad. Was not I couldn't watch it, unfortunately. I don't know where they had it, um, which sucks. But you know, when you consider Toyota had the race one before they even showed up there didn't really miss much of anything from all I read on social media. It wasn't exactly the best uh, presentation either. So eh, it is what it is there. Um, in terms of the, uh, we go into, what's it? The supercars, Fabian Coulthard, Shane Van Gisbergen and, and Scott McLaughlin were the winners uh, last weekend at the bend. The first of two races that they're going to have there. Um, Scott McLaughlin continues to maintain his points lead in the championship um, before his eventual move here to the United States to run the IndyCar series. Right now, he has a, a 215 point lead over Jamie Wincup, and they have a huge gap over um, Cam Waters, Shane Van Gisberg, and Chaz Mostert. Uh, those three drivers, I mean, 22 points Waters and Van Gisbergen, but it's 55 points between Waters to Mostert for the top five. Fabian Coulthard in sixth. Uh, Percat, David Reynolds, Anton DePasquale, Lee Holdsworth, your top ten, going to the bend again this weekend for a second uh, round there. I'll go in uh, MotoGP. Maverick Vinales for the factory Yamaha team gets his first win of the year. Uh, Paco Bagnaya 
um, crashes out of the lead, out of an opportunity for his first career MotoGP win. And uh, but in the end, it benefits uh, Maverick Vinales, who needed that after a rough uh, go of it here in recent races. The points battle is very close. Uh, you have the you have the exiting Andrea Davizioso from Ducati leading the points battle right now. Top four separated by four points. Quattararo and Vinales are only a point back, and Joanne Mir, um, who finished second at uh, Misano, um, is fourth, four points behind. So definitely the most wide open world championship motorcycle world championship we've had in a long time Suzuki in a position to possibly win for the first time since Kenny Roberts jr. And his championship year of the year 2000, the one of the last years of the 500 CC world championship, um, Kenny Roberts jr. Ended up beating, uh, a certain Valentino Rossi, uh, that year, but Valentino Rossi was a rookie as well. So, uh, Nico Muller and Robin Freins split the victories at the Nürburgring Sprint Circuit. Um, there's a gap. There's only eight. There's 18 point gap, and they'll be racing again in a few weeks' time at Zolder for the first of two rounds there in their championship. But it's basically those two guys. And Audi will win the um, DTM champion, the last DTM championship under the current uh, format. I think there will be a GT3 formula coming along with that here uh, next year to kind of keep the series going. Uh, World Superbikes, that's what we talked about. I mentioned earlier, Garrett Gerloff, who was running in the the, um, Moto America championship here, which is basically the Cameron Bobier championship, uh, he was running in this series on the Yamaha last year, and now he's on the World Superbike stage. He got his first super World Superbike podium in race two, got three top ten finishes. Uh, Johnny Ray, Michael Vandermark, and Chaz Davies were the race winners, but Garrett Gerloff going and having a great weekend there, big deal um, for American riders um, trying to go and possibly get the Grand Prix racing. It'll be very hard, but it's a possibility, you know, finishes and performances like that could put them in, uh, put them in position. You never know. Um, but we will see. And, you know, some of these races, of course, of supercars will be at the bend again this weekend. Um, you know, you would consider the same battle between the DJR team Penske and Red Bull Holden team, um, uh, you know, I figured Tickford and uh, the the Erebus team, those are the ones that you probably, and also, of course, Chaz Mostert, Mostert and the uh, United, whatever, Andretti, United, Walkinshaw, and insert your name here, team, will probably be up front there. Uh, MotoGP at Catalonia, it's a track which... Uh, you know, high horsepower could be more of a Ducati type of track, but, you know, KTM has shown themselves. So maybe some of the guys like Brad Binder, who won um, at Brno, he might be able to show again. The the KTMs have been able to do some work. Oliveira 
and Pola Spargo, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll we'll see what happens at Catalonia. It's definitely more of a motorcycle track than a car track. Hopefully Joe Roberts can have a recovery after not even starting the last race there or starting the race last week at Misano. I will go into the previews portion of the program here. Uh, I guess the easy question in terms of the Putin drone deal, Josh, is um, is, is there some do 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 we see number ninety one for Lewis Hamilton this weekend? It seems like Netflix believes that it's going to happen, but um, do you believe it's going to happen? And what do you expect? Uh, in terms of not only Valtteri Bottas, Max Verstappen, but the midfield runners. Yeah, I think Lewis Hamilton will likely win uh, this weekend at Sochi in Russia. I mean, the whole history of this track since 2014, Lewis Hamilton's won uh, four victories at this racetrack, and Mercedes team has won all of the races that have ever been held in Russia, so there's no reason to not think that Lewis Hamilton wouldn't win this race. So I imagine that Lewis will win, and it will be another dominating performance. Well, he likely will lead every lap of the race and won't have any competition for it. So it'll just be a battle of um, who can finish second behind him, and maybe perhaps uh, Valtteri Bottas and. Uh, Max Verstappen can uh, battle for second. Maybe we can see Max Verstappen put a fight to uh, uh, Valtteri Bottas and be able to challenge for uh, the position behind Lewis Hamilton. And hope, hopefully we, we can see some exciting racing and exciting strategy from that. But that's what it'll look like. And then as far as the midfield goes, um, maybe a team like um, McLaren with uh, Lando Norris, maybe they can um, show themselves as the best of the midfield, but Daniel Ricciardo and uh, Renault have had some momentum in recent weeks, and I think maybe they can definitely be a challenge for the midfield as well. And can't count out uh, the pink Mercedes team and uh, and their, their two drivers, Lance Stroll and Sergio Perez, They'll probably be there at the end, too, uh, for the midfield, and they could potentially finish maybe in fourth or fifth place and, or somewhere uh, within the points. So I think those teams probably will be the teams that you look out for in the midfield. But I think Lewis Hamilton eventually wins this race, and um, this is will be the where the point where he wins his 91st race and ties uh, Michael Schumacher for the record. And I think Netflix probably has the right idea in mind, and they'll probably have to come to the next race after where he breaks the record and and uh, sets the uh, record for most Formula 1 wins and puts himself in immortality because I, I doubt there will be anybody else that can uh, really uh, reach him in that uh, with with how Formula One has gone the last couple of seasons and where the, it'll come to and it might end up being more more competitive in, in, in the future. But it'll be interesting to see uh, how it plays out. As always, maybe Lewis Hamilton has something happen and he's not able to win the race, but I think uh, it's likely a Lewis Hamilton benefit 
with uh, Netflix to go with it. Yeah, it'll be something, uh, personal bias aside, um, having, wanting to see him tie Michael Schumacher and eventually break that record here this season. Um, it'll be pretty cool, but, you know, one of the worst racetracks. It, it's something, we talked about it on the Formula Grid Talk, Formula One Grid Talk podcast, uh, George Housen, who's been a guest on the show, and you could find that on all the podcast platforms that a lot of the same podcast platforms you can find us you can find them they're also on youtube uh you could find them they we live stream uh the show and uh, they're on facebook as well during the show we do it live um we'll write it and we'll do it live um and so the we do and we we go and we talked about the Putin Jerome Grand Prix and how bad it's going to be in more detail. Uh, Sam, myself, uh, Ruby Price, um, Owen Medford. Um, we went and uh, talked about that. So uh, if you want to get more detail, um, we can go and you can go and listen to them. Uh, they do a great job and, um, and we'll, and, uh, I mean, hopefully Lewis does it, but um, worst case, I mean, it's going to be the typical uh, look for McLaren to go and uh, be up there, possibly sneak in a podium there. And um, and uh, outside of that, I don't know. Uh, you know you, Pierre Gasly, I think, comes back to normal, uh, runs top 10 after he got taken off by his teammate there. Um the Russian rocket, of course, needs a good run. He needs as many good runs as he can get because Yuki Sonoda is standing in line basically to go and take his ride in uh, in Formula One uh, starting next year if he can get top four in the points um, as it stands right now. Uh, Danny Kvyat is okay, but Yuki Sonoda is 17 points out of, of fourth right now which the top four get enough super license points to um, move up or get the get that for the license they need to go to formula one um mick schumacher right now leads the championship over callum eilat by eight points christian lungard is the one um guys in between the three ferrari uh junior drivers robert schwartzman of course um is uh the third ferrari driver uh lungard uh drives for um the art team so he's in a position right now where he could possibly um sneak in maybe get a opportunity in formula one uh but we will see callum eilat definitely mick schumacher schwartzman they're all running in a in a way that um with the rides open at uh, Haas and also in Alfa Romeo, that they may all be in Formula One next year, depending um, what goes on. Uh, but we'll see what happens at one of the worst racetracks that exists in um, all the world. Uh, we talked about Texas Motor Speedway earlier. Um, this is the equivalent um, here at uh, at uh, Putin Drome. Uh, We'll probably have the uh, supreme leader um, sitting there while he's not meddling with the um, 
U.S. election uh, for his butt buddy. Um, he'll be sitting there acting like he's interested in Formula One when we all know he isn't. Um, going into the NASCAR races at Las Vegas, Josh, I mean, second round of the cup playoff starts. Um, I, I, I guess in terms of favorites, I mean, to me, it, I mean, it starts and ends with Harvick, but I mean, who else do you see outside of Harvick that could really go out there, get that win, which people are saying they're trying to sell it as a really crucial win going to Talladega and then the Roval uh, the following week. Yeah, I think this weekend at, at Las Vegas, it is a, a crucial win or race to win because the next two weeks on the schedule after that aren't going to be so normal uh, as it will be at Las Vegas. So, the, you know, if you can win here, it takes care of it. And you don't have to worry about putting yourself on the line at Talladega or having to, you know, worry about mastering the Roval or getting getting taken out at at uh, Charlotte there. So, you know, I think Kevin Harvick obviously is the, the favorite here, as he should be. But also, I think you have to look at somebody like uh, Joey Logano, who won all the way back in March before – uh, this whole COVID thing uh, came about before he even knew that this could happen um, when it looked like Logano was going to be the guy to look out for um, in the championship. Maybe he might show his uh, championship muscle again, and maybe he can uh, uh, show something here. But I think Kevin Harvick is the, the obvious favorite. Maybe Denny Hamlin can recover from his uh, round one uh, disappointment performance that he had maybe he can uh improve back on to what he showed during the summer and and uh have uh, more success possibly winning the race here at, at las vegas this is uh definitely a mile and a half track that he could win possibly but we'll have to see and i think maybe another driver you have to look out for is brad keselowski who certainly has been good at las vegas in the past and I, I think uh, this is the type of track that suits him. Um, but I ultimately think that Kevin Harvick will punch his ticket into the next round. Yeah, it's a safe pick, and it makes all the sense in the world the way Kevin Harvick's running, you know, going and getting a 10th win on this year, in this season. You know, it wouldn't be shocking at all. Um, you would look at, the top three, I mean, the top three or four right now in this sport in the Cup Series of Harvick, Hamlin, uh, Brad Keselowski, and Truex. You'd think one of those four. Truex won this race a couple of years ago. Um, Brad's won there, of course, as Josh said. So, I mean, all all signs point to one of those guys winning. Um can an upset happen outside of those four? I mean, it wouldn't be an upset if Joey Logano won because he, as Josh said, he won in March. Um, you, it's a track where Paul Wolf, it's one of Paul Wolf's best racetracks as a crew chief. So it would be an interest. That would be a good land. It would be a soft landing so that they could get through these next two weeks because the Penske cars are not as fast on the road courses. So that would be to their benefit. You have the super speedway there, which is a wild card and you know that half the field's going to wreck. So you're, you're taking that into account as well. Um, Xfinity series opens their playoff 
here in um, at Las Vegas. Um, as we mentioned earlier, this big gap between uh, Briscoe and Sindrick over everybody else, a little shorter field, um, 36 cars um, instead of the usual uh, regular 40, um, which is interesting considering, you know, Vegas is known for having a little bit more money at their races, but uh do we see deviation uh, outside of the top three? Do we see one of the top three win this deal, Josh, in your estimation? Or maybe you, you mentioned Bra- Bruckshot Jones. Is it is it Bruckshot Jones or possibly Harrison Burton or maybe somebody else that I'm not thinking of here for this Xfinity race on Saturday? Yeah, I think it's probably going to be a mix of the, the top three. I, I don't know if it will be just Nalgar, though. Uh, I think possibly Harrison Burton could be a contender this weekend, but I think it'll most likely end up being Chase Briscoe or Austin Sindrick that ends up winning this race. And I'm going to pick Austin Sindrick. I'll go against the grain a little bit. Um, I think maybe he uh, comes out and surprises people. I I think people probably refocus their um, interest in Briscoe and, and have probably picked him to, you know, win the race. But I think maybe Austin Sindrick uh, goes out and and brings the fight back into his corner. And I, I think it'll it'll be a Austin Sindrick win this weekend. But I wouldn't be surprised if Chase Briscoe won. But I think it'll probably be either of those two. The safe we were talking about safe picks. It's the same thing here. Um, I'll just deviate. Of course, you went with Austin Sindrick. You can't blame me for my own personal bias. I'll just go with Chase for fun so that we could talk about it here on the GSP next week. Um, but I do think that Allgaier is the one that has the momentum amongst those three. He's the veteran. He's the Elliott Sadler. He's never going to leave the XNE series. He winds and moans and all these things. And But... You know, unlike Elliot Sadler, Justin Allgaier does have driving ability. Um, we would think that it might come through here in this spot in a in a year like 2020. It might be the year he finally gets that Xfinity title. Uh, but we will see for sure. Uh, the Truck Series is going to have some uh, interesting characters. Specifically, uh, they'll have Travis Pastrana again in the... Um, in the rent um team, the Nice Motorsports, um, as long as you have a following on Instagram or, or some social media and you've you've sniffed uh, a vehicle that runs fast, you could be hired uh, by Nice Motorsports. And then his teammate is going to be uh, Connor Daly, the IndyCar Series driver uh, currently for... Uh, Carlin Racing on the ovals and Ed Carpenter Racing on uh, the, the road courses is going to make his truck series debut. His dad was worried that his left front tire was going to fall off because of all the camber they had in it. Um, considering it's an East Motorsports truck, it's entirely possible that that wheel might fall off. Uh, you're going to have Jesse Uji, who famously went and knocked the wall down in the pits last year coming off of turn four. Um, I mean, it makes sense. He's driving the zero double zero because Angela Ruck spun out trying to drive off pit road um, in in this in the spring. 
um, when she was trying to make her illustrious comeback to Nowhere's Will, Nowhere's Nowheresville, and then Chase uh, Purdy's in the 24. You have Dylan Lupton randomly coming out of hibernation for his late season run in the DGR Crosley. But are, is, is there going to be somebody that isn't a GMS or a uh, Thor Sport driver winning? If so, who would that be, Josh, and who are your picks for uh, the Thursday uh, truck race? Well, I guess if we were to say what driver that isn't a GMS or a Thor Sport car, it'd probably have to be somebody like Austin Hill. Uh, he's had good performance on the mile and a half in the truck series this season. He finished third here back in February. So I think it would, if anything, it would be him that would win uh, if he has that opportunity. But I don't think he will win. I think maybe he finishes in the top five, but I don't think he wins. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Sheldon Creed. I think he's had a little bit better track record in uh, the truck series this season on the mile and a half. He's won at uh, Kentucky, which is similar to Las Vegas, and he's uh, finished well at some of the other uh, tracks here in the series. He finished 10th in the spring and led uh, around eight laps, but I think he he probably could be the guy to win the race uh, this weekend and take the lead in the championship standings. Creed is uh, definitely a good choice. Uh, He has a lot of um, characteristics, of course, of Robbie Gordon, Brendan Gone, of course, Brendan Gone uh, from Vegas. It makes uh, both the off-road guys, so is Jeldon Creed. Uh, definitely a solid, strong choice there in the um, in the truck series for uh, this week, or for Friday, actually. Sorry, I said Thursday. I'm thinking about last week. Friday, Saturday, Sunday this weekend so friday night they'll be running at um las vegas the world of westgate 200 um i'll i'll go and i'll say it'll be a a typical uh one of the super teams will go and win here and i'll i'll go with grand infinger he's got a lot of good momentum going on uh with the recent events and i think it's a season and an opportunity for him to go out there and possibly get that truck series championship. Um, and it would be a place where he could go and, and give himself that opportunity if he goes and wins. Um, with that, we went over formula one, we went over Las Vegas and NHRA will be running their first race outside of Indianapolis since February at Phoenix. Um, the points battle is pretty straightforward in in top fuel. It's Doug Coletta versus uh, Steve Torrance. And there's just a couple other guys there, but really it's those two. In funny car, it's all the DSR cars running against each other. In the pro stock car class, you have, uh, you have the, what do you call, uh, uh, Jed Coughlin up there in his final year you have jason line up there in his final year and um you know greg anderson eric anders you know butner some of these idiots that are 
you know, LCD, but they're up there trying to compete for that championship. It's a full season championship. They're not going to run, of course, the full amount of races, but they'll be running every round. They're selling it as every round counts and all that crap. So we'll see going to one of the historic venues that exists. Um, Steve Torrance trying to make up for the fact that he's a douche is running a, a replica tribute to Big Daddy Don Garlitz this weekend. So that'll be something uh, to see. Um, one of his Swamp Rats are going to go and remake there. Uh, currently, uh, Doug Coletta has a two-and-a-half-round lead on uh, Tony Stewart's girlfriend and then a three-round lead on Steve Torrance. And that's basically where it's at. After that, you got five or six rounds plus on Justin Ashley and going back and back there. Um, funny car. Funny car right now is 57 points separating Beckman. Hagen is 35 points, 57 points. Tommy Johnson Jr. And that's really what it is. So, and two of those cars may not exist next year because uh, uh, Chandler. Um, they're moving, they're leaving the sport and funding the series. So that'll be a loss of a couple of cars there. Um, in terms of pro stock, Enders has a seven point lead on Jed Coughlin, 11 point lead on Jason Line, two drivers that are going to retire at the end of the year. And those are, that's really the battle within itself. Cause after that Hartford and Greg Anderson are giving up eight rounds. Uh, points wise so it's it's going to be very difficult for them to come back and then in pro stock motorcycle uh, scotty polachek has a 25 point lead over andrew hines craywick is a point behind that and matt smith's with two points behind that angel sampe is a round and a half out so really close battle ryan ayler who won earlier this year is just over two rounds out going into Gainesville. Uh, f- other races that we will have this weekend that we'll discuss um, in some way, shape, or form are the Bend Part 2 for Supercars. See if uh, Scotty McLaughlin can advance his points lead further uh, with the season finale being the Bathurst 1000. Um, MotoGP will be going to Barcelona. Can there be another different winner? Um, what will the points battle look like? Um, IMSA and Mid-Ohio, both Porsches had to withdraw because of COVID um, with a bunch of drivers and team members testing positive. Uh, there's other teams and drivers that that dropped out of this uh, weekend's race, so that'll be something to look at and, and the overall health of the drivers and teams in, in the IMSA series. Uh, we will end uh, tonight's uh, GSP, uh, we'll get into the promotions, all that in a little bit, but, uh, Josh and I are going to be playing this weekend in the, uh, fantasy football league and my fantasy football league. Um, both teams are two and oh, so it's the matchup of the week. Uh, we'd be on Fox, of course, uh, four o'clock game or CBS with, uh, Tony Romo. Um, if this was a real deal, uh, my, uh, K Adams Froyo team will be going against uh, Josh's Bold City Brigade. Um, projection show me winning, but that doesn't mean anything. Projections don't mean a thing. 
Um, Josh, what are you looking for in terms of this weekend and for football, not only for your Jacksonville Jaguars and be playing uh, on Thursday night uh, against the Miami Dolphins and the matchup of the beard versus the mustache, but in terms of fantasy football uh, this weekend and, and uh, let us know where we can find you as well. Yeah, I'll start off with fantasy first, but I think uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of matchup we have. I mean, you're right now you are projected to uh, win uh, at uh, this weekend, but I feel like uh, I gotta I gotta get a defensive end because I had uh, Nick Bosa, but of course uh, he ended his season uh, on Sunday with a torn ACL. So I have uh, got to pick up a new defensive lineman there. Um, I might need to swap out Rob Gronkowski for uh, Noah Fant possibly, um, although that's not really a good situation there either in Denver. They uh, had to sign Blake Bortles today uh, to back up Jeff, uh, Jeff Driscoll, who'd have thought those two guys are former uh, former rivals uh, in Oviedo, Florida, back in the day, uh, be on the same team, but um, might have to uh, get some tight ends here, uh, even though I actually drafted a lot of tight ends, but we'll see. I feel like I got a solid uh, skill set roster with uh, Allen Robinson, Julio Jones, both solid receivers, and then Jonathan Taylor, I think he's going to be an underrated back this season for the Indianapolis Colts. Derrick Henry, always a, a good good option to have. Uh, and Cam Newton, um, this is the first year I've ever been in a league with two quarterbacks, and uh, I wanted to get Cam Newton uh, going into the draft. I, I thought he'd be a, a good, solid pickup. And so far, he's looked like uh, he's the real deal for the New England Patriots and showing a little bit of a different dynamic being a mobile runner compared to the past with uh, Tom Brady that they had. Uh, and Juju Smith-Schuster, also a good wide receiver there in Pittsburgh, um, who's more of a slot guy, I think, but I think he also got the ability to be on the outside and and uh, win those one-on-one matchups. Um, then defense, Harrison Smith, uh, good safety, I think, um, definitely high tackling and uh, somebody who can definitely make some interceptions as well. And Roquan Smith, uh, one of the better linebackers, I think, in the league playing for Chicago. And I I think he's a excellent linebacker. You know, they make a lot, a lot of tackles in the open field. And I think, you know, with the defense that they have over there, it definitely fits his skill set uh, as an outside linebacker. And, uh, you know, he can stop the run and pressure the quarterback as needed for for that team. And definitely something uh, that he, uh, he's good at. But I've got to find a defensive end. Uh, maybe make some moves and uh, get a tight end there uh, possibly. But for a matchup on Thursday, uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I think uh, the offense for the Jacksonville Jaguars this year is actually underrated. And that's what it was kind of looking like in the off season. They did make moves in the off season. They got rid of Leonard Fournette, uh, which we thought was a, people were thinking, oh, they're the Jags are going to tank. Well, the reality was, is that uh, he never got more than four yards carry in his career as a Jaguar. Uh, his average is like 3.9 or something like that. And, well, he did get, I think, last year a little bit better than four yards, but it was still pretty pretty low for the amount of touches that he had uh, with the ball. But uh, they swapped him out for an undrafted free agent in James Robinson, who's a running back that can actually hit the hole and, and uh, create yards and, and run between the tackles and, and uh, somebody um, who can actually just – just uh, run the football better, and I think it's worked out for him, and he fits their offense better than uh, Leonard Fournette does, and 
Uh, Jay Gruden, their offensive coordinator, uh, has been really good designing a good passing game. They've got a solid core of receivers uh, for that. DJ Chark, uh, who's probably going to be one of the better receivers in the NFL this season and in the future. And Keelan Cole, who's been around for a while but just hasn't been consistent. I think this is the year he finally becomes a really consistent receiver uh, and it's not just like a number two or number three option for the, uh, the team. And, um, and they've got a, a rookie in LaVisca Chenault, who's a, their slot receiver uh, and also their number two running back because he, he can play out of the backfield too and has gotten some touches there. And uh, he can really run over uh, defensive backs. He had a, a 14-yard run on Sunday against the Titans where he ran over a defensive back safety that was a um, really powerful run. So he can definitely hit the hit the hole as well. And um, he's going to be a playmaker for the team in the future. And then you know, Chris Conley, the, uh, the all-pro wide receiver, as we call him here in Jacksonville, um, all-pro human being, too, is a good fourth receiver as well. And then um, tight ends, you know, James Asanshi and uh, Tyler Eifert, um, they're not, like, world beaters at all, but uh, they can get the job done, and they fit the team. And then, of course, uh, Gardner Minshew, who people doubted in the offseason because they weren't sure if he was going to be able to re- replicate what he did last year. And I think this year he's proving that he can play within structure of the offense and he's able to make the throws that he needs to make. You know, he's not going to have too many uh, highlight level real plays, but he's going to have um, a lot of solid plays where he takes what the defense gives you and he's just able to move the chains and, and uh, convert uh, first downs and um, just, you know, sc- uh, put the position, the team in position to, to score and, and get points, which is something that the Jaguars haven't been able to do consistently over the last couple of years um, and really in a while. So he's probably already like on pace to be one of the better quarterbacks in the uh, short 26-year uh, history of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Then um, we'll see how they do on offense. Defense, uh, I think they can tackle well, but um, they've got to be able to get pressure up the middle, I think, uh, is what the problem is there. Uh, they've got two good defensive ends, I think, uh, to sack the quarterback, but they aren't able to get there because they don't have the pressure up the middle to uh, free up that space. And I think that's something that they've got to prove on down the line. Hopefully, uh, Taven Bryan can uh, earn his name this year and uh, actually prove that um, he was worth uh, the late first rounder that they invested him in 2018, but uh, it should be an interesting matchup uh, going into this Thursday. Uh, I think they can probably beat the Miami Dolphins at home and uh, go two and one on a national audience. And I, I think um, they might have to put in Tua for the Dolphins. We'll see. It depends on how well the Dolphins perform, but I think it's possible. Yeah, I definitely would agree. If it goes a certain way, that Tua might make. His NFL debut, I mean, Jacksonville, it depends on the day or depends on the situation, but they have a good team. Um, But we will see. I think the more intriguing thing for us is fantasy football. Uh, This matchup will definitely give you the roundup in terms of that and who won and all that. Um, Right now, this so far this week or these first two weeks, I've had the high score in both of those weeks. So that's money. Uh, cash money for um, my work and hopefully that'll continue um you can find us or find me on twitter at philip g matthew 
You can find us on Facebook or find me on Facebook at Philip G. Matthew. Um, then you can also um, find us at Philip or at philipgmatthew.com. The there's a blog and also where the podcast appears for Podbean or on WordPress and also Podbean. Um, we're on Apple Mu- or Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, and um, other podcast distribution sites um, not listed. Um, Josh, you have um, you want to do the socials or you're good? I mean, you can always follow me at uh, Twitter at JP Huffine, and I do have Twitch, uh, which twitch.com or actually twitch.tv slash uh, usailor2, Y-O-U-S-A-I-L-O-R-2. Um, I'll be streaming some iRacing here soon. Um, um, start getting ready for the Open Wheels 500, which they are uh, getting ready to have that in a couple months. So got to um, get comfortable in the Indy cars. So um, getting ready for that. But uh, those is really where you can look for me. Um, and I have Instagram, JP Huffine also, if you um, just want to follow me there um, as well. But uh, that's all I got. All right. Uh, thank you, Josh, as always, for your contributions and for everything you do. Uh, we will be back next week on the GSP to go over everything that went on at Vegas and all over the world, Putin Drome, uh, Mid-Ohio, uh, you have Catalonia, et cetera, et cetera. Silly season, pro football, fantasy football. We have it all in one spot here on the Grip Strip Podcast. Uh, for Josh, I'm Phil. Uh, take care. Uh, you have a good day or a good night whenever you listen to this. Be safe. Take care of one another. Um, wear a mask, social distance. Uh, just be smart and um, take care of one another. Good night.